Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome back to our special Star Trek Lower Decks triple feature. Triple feature. I mean, it's crazy, you know. Uh, you know, you miss a week, and you're like, okay, well, we'll do it. We'll do a two for next, you know, next time around. And then you miss two weeks, and it's like, okay, now we're gonna have to do the triple feature. I know. Uh, but you know, and I there's really I, only one more episode left of Lower Decks after this week. That's right. You know, we 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 after we uh, finish talking about these three episodes. Uh, this week, the season finale of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks occurs. But, you know, Paul, I think I have to confess something. I, I think I've learned something Uh-oh. throughout this uh, this Lower Decks experience. Um, it's really hard to unpack and talk about uh, a, a half-hour sitcom, essentially. Um, yeah, I, it, unlike there's not that much to it, really. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot there, but I think that your podcast rapidly turns into a Chris Farley show. You know, it's a, hey, you remember that scene with the egg? Uh, that was great. I mean, the, the I think it just becomes you know admiration and, and appreciation. So uh, I, I think that's what I have learned in this lower decks experience. I think it's a good nice opportunity for us to check in and talk about what yeah. we think about the show, but. As far as doing a scene by scene breakdown, as we tend to do with the other, you know, Star Trek shows, um, I, I just think it's it's a little bit more challenging and less interesting <laughs> for the listener, uh, you know, because it's just otherwise us going, yeah, that was really funny. Us telling you a joke you've already seen, uh, you know, it's probably not the best uh, radio. But you know, Paul, I saw maybe a week or so ago a deep fake of the. Uh, uh, Star Trek 2009 that that put Shatner, Nimoy, yeah. and uh, DeForest Kelly's uh, faces over the uh, Kelvin Star Trek actors. Oh, okay, and it was really cool. I, mean, I was like, I was like, man, you know, that looks really cool, and it got me into a mood to watch the uh, Kelvin Star Trek movies. So I started off with Star Trek 2009, and I, I have enjoyed Star Trek 2009 since I since the first time I saw it in theaters. I mean, I think it's just a really great action movie. It's not a great Star Trek movie because um, there are you know any number of things that make it not Star Trek, but I, I think it's really a cool link into the Star Trek that we knew to to, to this Star Trek franchise. And so I went all in. I watched. I, I went in and watched Into Darkness. And anyone who has uh, listened to our podcasts over the years, uh, both this show and our Funny Book show, knows that I hated Star Trek Into Darkness. And I got to say something that I'm I'm I am deeply surprised to say. Oh. I think the movie is aging well. Hmm. Um, 
you know, is it na- perhaps knowing what you're going in for? Well, I mean, I've seen it a couple of times, right? And I've just gotten, yeah. you know, intensely angry every mm-hmm. time I've watched it because of, you know, it, it is very much a a Kelvin interpretation of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and it and attempts to hit the same emotional beats that Wrath of Khan touched very successfully because at that point you'd had 25 years experience with uh, with these characters maybe it was 15 years experience I forget but you know you had had you know more than a decade of time with these characters both through three seasons of the original series and two feature films whereas you know uh, into darkness was trying to to have the same emotional stakes and you just don't you haven't been with these with these actors in these roles long enough to experience that, and they haven't had that many adventures together, right? Um, so that's one thing that, that always bothered me. Uh, also bothering me is the fact uh, that we've whitewashed the con character in uh, in Into Darkness. You know, uh, we at least had Ricardo Montalban playing an Indian man, so you know you had you know someone with a little bit of ethnic diversity playing someone with some ethnic diversity in uh, the original series and in the film. But in Into Darkness, we've got, as far as I know, uh, uh, Mr. Cumberbatch is uh, just as white as he can be, because right? mm-hmm. that's certainly how he appears on screen, and I don't know his, uh, his genetic makeup, but I mean, there is nothing about him that, that says, you know, Indian. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't understand. I, I, that is, this is the thing. This is the only element of that movie that still just continues to leap out at me that annoys me um, is that they made no effort to make that an Indian. Now, why wouldn't you go and hire some great Indian actor to play that role? Why, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, other than the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch is a star? I, I don't get it. I just I, I still don't get it. Yeah, well, he was super hot at the time. He's, I mean, he still is, but at the time, he was like... Oh, I know. I know he was huge. Yeah. He was Pop. huge. You yeah. know. Huge. But I, I just... It, it felt like we're going to squeeze some star power into our movie without it making a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and so that part of it still doesn't age well. And in fact, you know, in the, the climate of 2020, I, I find it... I find it uh, offensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, in that movie... I, I gotta say, this is the first time I've watched Into Darkness that I can say that I've enjoyed it. Um, in fact, the the Kirk death scene kind of got me. Um, oh, okay. You know, even though it's resolved in the same movie, <laughs> you know, he he dies, and you know, twenty minutes later, less than twenty minutes later, Doctor McCoy resurrects him. Um, you know, so there there really are no stakes in the movie, uh, but. You know, I, I found that I enjoyed it a lot more, uh, even though it is very ridiculous. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of the the trait of the Kelvin movies, right? Is that they're ridiculous. And I think yeah. that's what I finally embraced is that the the Kelvin Star Trek movies are just you know twenty pounds of crazy in a ten pound bag. And as long as you can embrace that. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it, and and that was really the thing about that I liked about Star Trek Beyond. It was ridiculous, and I I I think that I finally just said, okay, I can embrace some ridiculous in my Star Trek, and maybe that's what Lower Decks has taught me is that it's okay to have ridiculous Star Trek. 
Okay, look at you, the lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, I... I the I, moral I, of the story. I, well, I think, you know, I think J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. brings with him a chaotic style. And it's right. funny because, you know, J.J. Abrams very much um, comes from the mold of Steven Spielberg. And he started out that way. And did you say he comes goes, from the mole of Steven Spielberg? <laughs> the mole. I mean, no, did did, did he burst down. forth from some sort of you know skin tag? <laughs> I, I think that, that. I mean, it seems like it. Yeah. Um, all the lens flare that they both <laughs> in, in, in use. Um, but no, I think uh, you know the thing about J.J. Abrams is he started out his career very much playing the long game on a lot of things, whether it was Fringe or whatever. But as it's as he got into movies. I find that his movies have a much different sensibility than his television work. Right. Um, in that they are just chaos from beginning to end. They have to have a constant driving motion. They don't really stop to take much of a breath. And that's true in Star Trek. That's true in his work in Star Wars, which well, is why people have issues with that as well. His films kind of remind me of Lower Decks in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. Lower Decks is very joke-dense, right? You know, you've yeah. got to have a joke happening every moment, right? And I feel like the J.J. Abrams movies are very action-dense. That yes. Something's got to be happening every moment as you're, as you're going through. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that frantic, chaotic motion, which mm-hmm. I, think, I think works particularly well in Star Trek 2009. It does, but I feel like there was even – they were, you know, for that, I think it is this perpetually moving story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got these young characters. It had an energy to it. And it was also before we noticed the trend, yeah. right? Um, because Star Trek Into Darkness is basically that turned up a notch higher. Oh, yeah. It's, it's up to 11, right? I mean, yeah. it, uh, JJ. I mean, you know, JJ turned Star Trek action up to 11 in the first movie. And so they reset it and said, okay, well, this is JJ track. And then in, in, in the JJ track metric, they turned it to 11 in Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crazy film. Um, and Beyond does step back a little bit from that, just by but, nature of but it being JJ produced and not directed. But JJ didn't have near as much of a, of a hand in that one. That yeah. was that was more of a Simon Pegg joint, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and I mean, I, I think there are things about Beyond that work better, but there's also things that drive me crazy about Beyond. And it's the yeah. same thing that it is attempting to elicit an emotional response that it hasn't earned. You know, so it's the third yeah. movie of the franchise, but it is, you know, more than five years since uh, since Captain Kirk has taken command of the Enterprise. And he's tired of his five year mission. I'm tired. Um, and that just that just wears me out. You know, uh, that that he's seeking promotion from the Enterprise because he is he's just worn out from all the from all the work and being in space and feeling sort of at loose ends. And so his yeah, I mean, big. I think that's you know. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there. No, you're okay. Right. You, well, I'm just gonna. I was just gonna say, you know, uh, it's accelerating the uh, character arc from from Shatner's Kirk, right? But Shatner never sought never sought to leave the Enterprise because he was tired of doing that job. He sought to leave the Enterprise because he felt like promotion to Admiral was the next logical step. Whereas Chris Pines Kirk is is leaving the Enterprise because he just doesn't want to be bouncing around the galaxy anymore. He wants to put down some roots somewhere. And I, that I, that storyline 
offends me in terms of the character of Kirk. But again, you have to acknowledge that these aren't the same characters. This isn't the same universe. Um, These are different guys. And I, I find, conversely, I find the Chris Pine Shatner to be less heroic than the Shatner. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, you know I think because um, there are plenty of movies that are trilogies, and the emotional stakes are fine. Right by the third, that you feel the emotional stakes, and you also can understand a weariness. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and and they do imply that in those Kelvin movies there are plenty. You know, years. Of, yeah, lots of, of other stuff going that on that you haven't seen. seen. Right. But you know what we've seen has amounted to very short burst adventures. Right. Um, and I do think that that's, that's what you're getting at. Um, which is that, you know, there's the, the, even though, you know, it, it, it tries to paint this years of adventure and weariness and tired and camaraderie and all that. We don't necessarily see any of that. Right. Right. Because what we've seen has just been the short bits of adventure without any real moments for character growth or development or love or, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. In fact, the only, the only arc that really makes sense in beyond is the Spock arc because, you know, Spock's homeworld Vulcan was destroyed in 2009 and he's feeling the pressure of, you know, what am I doing out here jumping around the galaxy when I should be back on New Vulcan making little Vulcan babies, right? Yeah. And that his storyline makes absolute sense to me in that film. But I say all this, and I think all three of these movies have terrific cold opens. You Agreed. know, in Star Trek 2009, you've got the Chris Hemsworth, you know, sort of origin story for uh, for uh, Captain Kirk. In Star Trek II Into Darkness, you've got them on the island leading the natives away from the volcano. Uh, and in Beyond, you've got that great scene with, with these creatures that you're sort of faked out to believe are just these gigantic, monstrous creatures, and they wind up being, you know, 12 inches tall. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I love all three of those cold opens. All three of those cold opens are terrific. Um, I think. Each, each of these movies has profound problems. I just found that I enjoyed them a lot more. And maybe, maybe it's pandemic. <laughs> you know, maybe it's the time that I'm in where I'm looking for, for joy wherever I can find it. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I gotta tell you, I, I, I enjoyed, I've always enjoyed 2009, but I enjoyed End of Darkness and Star Trek Beyond more than I ever have watching it this week. But it also put me back on the course, Paul. Of rewatching the original Star Trek films, so I, I have watched uh, uh, Wrath of Khan Friday night, and I watched uh, a little bit of uh, Search for Spock yesterday. Okay, look at yeah. you. Which I mean, you are you you are all in on the Star Treks and the wars and and all the Star stuff lately. Yeah, and uh, I gotta tell you, you know, uh, a, a little adjacent to our project here. Uh, I don't know if you saw this commercial, Paul, but uh, Mark Hamill and Sir Patrick Stewart have made an Uber Eats commercial in, yeah. in which they their fan- franchises face off, right? So that allows me, because now we've got, you know, the Star Treks and the Star Wars in the same place, I can now talk about Mandalorian. See? See? I, <laughs> Look at you. Yeah, podcast relevant. Three, I, uh, three seasons of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, just so we can talk about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's Star Trek Wars with Aaron and Polly. There you um, go. So 
If you've uh, listened to this week's episode of Funny Books, I tell the story about how Darth Vader led me to uh, to subscribe to Disney Plus, and so uh, last night was my first evening to have the Disney Plus, and I watched the first three episodes of Mandalorian, and I gotta tell you. Uh, I am not nearly the Star Wars guy that I am a Star Trek guy, right? I mean, I, I've been on record as saying, loves me some Star Wars, but it is not nearly as, as, as much my jam as, as Star Trek. And so I feel like there's some things going on in this show that I don't understand, but it is a super cool show. And the thing that I marvel at is John Favreau. Uh, you know, he has put an indelible, he's made an indelible imprint on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and now he gets to do something just so cool in the Star Wars franchise and create, carve out this super cool space uh, that I don't think anybody thought was going to be as cool as it, as it is. I mean... This really yeah. surpassed my expectations. And I know I'm only three episodes in, but holy shit, the, those first three episodes are movie quality. Um, and I love how, uh, how spaghetti western it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can almost anticipate that it's Clint Eastwood under that helmet. I, I, I love this fucking show. Yeah. What I think works about that show, <clears throat> not to do- devolve this into a Star Wars show, it's Star Trek is, Wars. Is re- <laughs> a Star Trek Wars um, is really that. I think it was un- it was genuinely unexpected. The fan base was was crying foul after the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. um, and then you know we we had, and of course there there are the, the the vocal minority of fans were bitching about the franchise, right? Um, but in and so when they announced Mandalorian, they're like, ah, oh, geez, more Star Wars, just what we need. They've got a new Star Wars movie every year. Han Solo, the movie didn't do well. More Star Wars. But, you know, there, there's always that hope. And is that it, it a actually, new hope, Paul? It's a new hope. And, and The Mandalorian <laughs> is the new hope. Because um, it came out, and I think it just surpassed all expectations. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. As you watch the show, you'll realize that I think it's eight episodes, eight or ten episodes first season. Mm-hmm. Eight. Uh, you got um, me. I have. I have. I, I haven't know. looked. I just started watching. Yeah. Not every episode is a winner. Right. There are no bad episodes, but not every episode knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Um. But it it genuinely has a strong beginning and a super strong ending. Um. And I think the third episode that you just saw was the one on the uh, the forest planet with the no at no. no. Is that, uh, that episode four? That I, I haven't watched episode four yet, so you, I think you're about to spoil something. The okay, episode, then, yes. episode, episode three, shush. <laughs> yeah, episode three is where he, uh, where Mando uh, rescues Baby Yoda, oh, and that's right. okay. the other, so that's the other Mandalorian. The yeah, the other Mandalorians come out to to support him as he you know, flees the planet. So I have some questions that hopefully you can answer for me. Okay. Are they on Tatooine in those in those uh, first three movies? They are not in the, but they do. No, they are not. Okay, okay, because you know, I did not realize that first three movies, first three episodes. Uh, I did not realize that Jawas were as ubiquitous in uh, a galaxy far, far away um, as they appear to be, right? Because we see them both on the planet where Baby Yoda is retrieved from, and we see them also on the planet that. Uh, where he, he where he goes to rendezvous with Carl Weathers, right? Yeah. And by the way, casting Carl Weathers in this thing, I think is brilliant. I, I, I loves me some Carl Weathers. I don't get to see near enough of him. Um, the okay, so they're paying him 
in what appears to be some sort of Star Wars version of gold pressed latinum. What is that? Those little bricks. What are they paying? Oh, I don't know. They're just they're you know, credits of some kind. But they but they they melt them down. There's some sort of fluid thing inside of them, right? So I mean, yeah. you because know, gold pressed latinum, the gold is the exterior. The the latinum is liquid inside. Yeah. In Star Trek, this seems to be almost the same kind of thing. I, I was I, I was like I was like, is this a Star Wars thing? Is this something I just don't know? That's you know, was it in one of the animated series? Because I've seen all the movies many many times, yeah. but I've, I, I haven't gone into the extended universe nearly so much. No, I mean I, I, I don't know what type of credits they are, but I okay. think yeah, I think they melt down and you can put them onto your armor, that kind of thing. Okay. The, the, I think so, the, you know, they're Mandalorian credits of some kind. That's the impression I got. Okay, and so you know they they, they make a big deal about his armor. And, you know, he brings in these credits. Mm-hmm. And I gathered that they're melting down the credits or extracting. Because it almost looks, I understand that, you know, they're applying heat to it. But it doesn't, there are scenes where it looks like liquid's coming out of it versus the, the metal melting, right? Yeah, good question. Okay. Um, and so and so my question is, uh, you know, they're, they're melting this stuff down and then creating pieces of his armor. Is the metal in short supply? You know, it's a good question. I actually don't know. Okay. Um, All right. They, they never really clarify. I'm just going to say they don't really clarify. Okay. It's just one of those and things I, that you just kind of I'm understand. Only like asking, the, the Mandalorians don't need the money, so they melt it down and turn it into armor kind of thing. Okay. So I'm only asking because, you know, not nearly as as big of a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just afraid that I've missed something. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, I, I feel I feel better now. But yeah, I, I'm really enjoying Mandalorian, and I am sure I'll be finished this week in time for uh, the upcoming debut of uh, season two. Yeah, but hey, Paul, you are hearing your thoughts on the final? Yeah, uh, yeah. But episode. Paul, you know, we're not here to talk about your Star Wars. Oh, that's not. I thought cool. we were wrapping up. I thought that was it. Like no, I'm, I'm, no, no. I'm good. I'm happy. We've got, we've got three whole episodes of uh of Star Trek Lower Decks to talk about. We do. Uh, and we're not we're not going to dive deep into any of these unless uh, Paul says otherwise because... No, because I don't really remember much about 3 episodes ago. But <laughs> <laughs> um you know, but I, I go ahead. Well, episode 7, Much Ado About Boimler, uh features uh uh Boimler t- uh testing Rutherford's uh transporter upgrade and Boimler winds up glowy. <laughs> And it winds up, you know, he gets sent to the uh, to a ship where he is uh, amidst all of the other scientific accidents and uh, medical cases gone wrong, and it 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 goes pretty dark. You know, it until, does. until until it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're taking him to the farm, right? And you start to you start to wonder, does Starfleet actually have? a way of wiping these mysterious accidents under the rug, given right. that you know, Starfleet is, is so corrupt in every modern version of Star Trek. Um, you know, are, are they taking these, these freak accidents and just taking, you know, put, putting them out to pasture? Yeah. Well, and the, one of the nice things about this episode and, you know, I, I you know, we know that lower decks is uh, sort is grabbing from all corners 
of the the Star Trek universe. And, you know, we get to see an Adoan, uh, you know, who is, you know, leading this, this trip to the farm, uh, you know, and he laughs maniacally and just seems quite diabolical. He's the three-armed, three-legged alien. Uh, and the last mm-hmm. time we saw an Adoan on, on a Star Trek show was Star Trek the Animated Series. So, you know, it was nice to see an Adoan, uh, and, and in a, in a, uh, rather pivotal role. But I think my favorite part of this episode, Paul, was the dog. <laughs> the dog. Of yeah. course it was. Yeah. Incentendi genetically engineered a dog, her idea of a dog, you know, and, you know, the dog seems a little bit Cthulhu. <laughs> 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 just, just a little bit horrific. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I loved the dog. I, th- I thought this was, I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, but of these three episodes that we're talking about, episode seven, much ado about Boimler, uh, you know, I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but my least favorite of these three, uh, of the three, yes. Yeah. Um, but it's still a good episode. It, it was still a fun episode. The dog, I mean, there was a lot of humor to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and I, 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 I'm not disparaging anything. Uh, I'm just saying that if I'm ranking, uh, this is in place number three. And it's funny because I'm, my rankings improve as we get closer to the season finale. Uh, Veritas, the episode number eight, in which uh, Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford appear to be on trial with the command crew of the Ceratos, and or Ceratos, or whatever you want to call it, um, they... They are in very much what appears to be a Klingon courtroom, a la Star Trek VI Undiscovered Country. In fact, you know, there is some, there's some gaveling in with the sparky gavel, very much like Star Trek VI. And I gotta tell you, I love the, you know, if you are found to be in contempt, you get dunked in the eel tank. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're not giving me the answer I'm looking for, you get dropped in the eel tank. Uh, you know, you're going to be eeled. Uh, I, I got a kick out of that. Yeah. So, and of course, um, I like the it's very much one of those like uh, Seven Samurai or uh, not Seven Samurai, but um, there, there's a, a, a name for this type of story where everyone tells the kind of yeah, the same story their but point from their view. point of view. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I just thought it was really well done. Um, and, and it, it's funny because as it goes on, the core concept of the series, as I understood it, was that you had this brilliant Starfleet crew and the inept lower decks characters. Right. But what this episode really showed is that ah, the bridge crew is pretty inept too. Right. right? Like the Tendi is cleaning cat hair off of the chairs in the captain's lounge. But she's and, loving it. She, that's, she's she's, loving she's it. so excited that she's getting to, getting to clean up the captain's lounge. And just happens to end up being on a black ops mission. Right. Um, because she's in the room and they're looking for someone called the cleaner. And she's like, I'm the cleaner. Well, and, and, <laughs> and the, the best thing about it, how many times has this happened to you, Paul? You're sitting at, you're sitting in a meeting and somebody assigns you something, but you were daydreaming when they assigned it to you oh, yeah. and now you don't know what you're, what you're, what you're on deck for. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what did I, I just on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> what did I just agree to? And that's how she is going into this mission. You know, they've given her certain assignments and she's like, she was thinking the whole time, this is so cool. 
I, I, again, I thought Veritas was great. I, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the episode. I really loved seeing Tendi on that uh, uh, special away, that covert ops special away mission. I was hoping she was going to get a tattoo like the rest of those guys. Yeah, but, but, no. but she never did. But, you know, what I liked about that episode and what I'm liking about as the series progresses, they are breaking from the um, structure that we talked about, you know, after like I think two or three episodes and we're like, okay, they take two characters and two characters yeah. and put them together. And that, that episode very much had a little short bit for everyone to do, except Boimler, essentially. Everyone yeah. else still had, you know, had a, a, a nice little short story. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought, uh, I thought that the, the POV, you know, uh, storytelling was was terrific and I, you know we, we we ultimately find out that this wasn't a trial that they were on honoring the uh the command crew of of Ceratos but you know in typical klingon fashion it's terrifying no. <laughs> <laughs> but i got to tell you i think the gem far and away the 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 pearl of the season has to be episode nine crisis point. I I might not have laughed as hard as I have in, in some other episodes, but the level of parody really got me on this one. Uh, you know, we we find ourselves where uh, Mariner has offended the captain far too often, and the captain orders therapy. And, you know, so she goes off to see the therapist. And I really, I, this was one of those times I wish that they had done some celebrity stunt casting. I do the, too. But, the, but I will say the therapy sessions were hilarious. They're like, oh, I don't want to go see the therapist. He just makes a bunch of food references. Right. And he's like, let's marinate on that. Do you? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, like I, that. I really wish that they had cast Kelsey Grammer, you know, because he's a Star Trek uh, fan. Yeah, that Kelsey would be Grammer as the psychiatrist would have been great. Would have been great. Uh, oh, speaking of stunt casting, since we're on the subject of stunt casting, and I yep. know we're skipping ahead. Yep, yep. Q was in the prior episode. Oh yeah, yeah, sure was. And Actual uh, John, John Delancey. Delancey. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a fun little uh, that was cameo. Fun. And you know, Mariner just dismissing him. No, 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 no Q shit this time. Yeah, we are <laughs> we are not in the mood for any Q bullshit this time. <laughs> but crisis point. Uh, Boimler has an interview scheduled with the captain for, you know, a, a, an opportunity. And so he has built this holodeck program using the, the crew and the captain's logs to build holog holodeck simulations so that he can kind of pre-interview. And so when, when Tendi, Rutherford, and Mariner come down and see it, Mariner strikes on the idea that she can get some therapy. Oh, yeah, she can get some therapy. And she hijacks his program and creates a Star Trek movie. And I cracked the fuck up <laughs> when her her credits start rolling across the holodeck. And, you know, you're getting some physical comedy there because the, you know, Boimler keeps getting whacked in the head with the, with the scrolling credits. Uh, but, you know, it reminds me of videos that me and my buddies shot back when I was in college. And it's, you know, uh, all of our names for every credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so I, I was very amused by that. But, you know, it it very much sends up the Trek movies and really highlights the inconsistencies in Trek movies versus uh, the television series. Like for instance, 
there is a comment made in the in, in, within the, the confines of the program that oh you can do all kinds of crazy stuff with transporters in a movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I speed transported everyone on the ship out at the last minute. He's like, yeah. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which which goes back to you know all three of the Kelvin universe uh, movies where they're you know beaming people across the galaxy. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, cra- <laughs> in warp and yeah. Yeah, in and out, you know. I mean, just crazy stuff. But well, uh, and the nice call to I mean, they they referenced many of the Star Trek movies, including the original motion picture. Right. Uh, There's like a four minute montage of imagery of the ship. Oh God, that was I loved that. I love that. You've got characters wiping tears from their eyes as they're flying up to the ship. (laughs) Yeah, the. It was masterfully done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I got a huge kick out of this thing. Um, and you can tell that the, that there were so many Star Trek fans writing this episode. Uh, you know, and that's something that, I, that I've really picked up on Lower Decks is it feels like everybody who's working on this show has got a deep and abiding love of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, they, 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 they do the bit where the uh, Cerritos crashes to the planet. I'm just going to pronounce it five different ways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but where it crashes to the planet and instead of it, you know, crashing like a disc, you know, uh, uh, hitting the, hitting the ground, like in generations, it lands on its side and rolls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is much less dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> I, that was a great episode. It I, was. I, it was a I lot. It. There was humor. There was actually, you know, there was some emotional stakes in there. there it, it, with the Mariner, um, you know, kind of Mariner understanding herself. Yeah, right? and was, why she does what she does. It wasn't laughs for laughs' sake. It was driving a a, a character arc forward, which I I was really surprised by. In fact, you know, one of the things that I found surprising about this episode, maybe even some prior episodes, is that I really like these characters, right? And so when Mariner makes some decisions in this episode that I thought were actually rather destructive. You know, I don't think it's healthy to create a realistic simulation of you shooting your friends. Yeah. You know, and coworkers. I mean, I've, I, in, in a world where, you know, shootings happen all the time, that seems profoundly unhealthy to me. And she challenges herself. Her simulation challenges her about that. I mean, it's actually a pretty damn dramatic moment in an otherwise hilarious episode. Yeah. Well, and Tindy um, calls her on it too. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the, Tindy would all but called Mariner a racist in this episode <laughs> with the Orion slave girls. Yeah. You know, because, and they, they made a lot of humor out of that, but I mean, I really was expecting, you know, Tindy to say racist <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, Mariner keeps saying, yeah, you know, you're a, you're an Orion, uh, an Orion slave girl. You're a thief. You know, you're just, you know, calling her all of these racial stereotypes. And, you know, Tindy is clearly offended by it. And yeah. uncomfortable with it, and finally quits the simulation. Um, and they, the, you know, the two of them get over it. You know, Mariner realized where she went wrong and apologizes for it, and Tendy lets her off the hook. But uh, and there's this great line like, "We haven't been uh, most Orions haven't been uh, thieves and pirates for more than five years." <laughs> <laughs> 
That cracked me up. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um, the most surprising aspect of this episode is that I don't think I realized that Mariner and the captain is, is what's the captain's name? Becky? Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. That Mariner and Freeman were not acknowledging their mother daughter relationship. Yeah, that was established like in episode two or three. I thought so too, but given yeah. all the crazy shit she's done in front of her mom and all the arguments they've had, yeah. no I mean, it's a cartoon. I can't think too right. much on it, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. No one has acknowledged the amount of disrespect that this ensign has done, yeah. for, has aimed at the captain. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like it's all going to come to a head in the, the next episode. So it yeah. seems like we've got some pretty big stakes going into the final episode of season one of Lower Decks. Yeah, which is fun. You know that they're. Yeah. You know this has been a very episodic show, and um, you know it, it, for the most part, I'd say you can watch any episode out of order. But I think what this episode has established is that there's still this ongoing thread that um, you know with Mariner and her mom, and there has been a progression of that relationship over the course of the nine episodes. And I'm very curious to see if you know episode ten does something with it, yeah. um, or if it's yeah, or if it's just a throwaway episode, or if they're no, no, we're going to acknowledge. Um, this new information and something's going to happen as a result. Uh, you know, they, uh, one thing that I, I, I really had a problem with in this episode where Rutherford and the uh, chief engineer of Cerritos in the simulation, uh, you know, really come to, uh, share their, their admiration for each other and they're hugging it out. Um, the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the Cation, uh, doctor says something like, you two crazy beeps, you know, go, you know, something like, you know, you know, go have a good time or whatever, something like that. It was, it, that's not the part of the conversation. It was the beep. And I was trying to figure out what word they beeped. And I'm, I, I, I fear. <laughs> I don't think it's the F word you're thinking of. So I, I'm just going to say it. The word that I'm concerned about is that, that the word was fag. I don't believe it could have been. I hope that it wasn't, but it felt like that was the word it was. And of course, you know, you can't read lips in a cartoon. (laughs) But I was like, what is the, because was she saying you two crazy fucks? Yeah, I think so. Or crazy shits or something. Like, I I cannot believe. I can't either, but it felt like that was the word she was using. I was was just in the context of the moment. It certainly seems like it could have been, but I don't think they would have allowed that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't either, but I don't know. I just, I didn't know it because the doctor is so off color and so inappropriate. I just, I was like, wow. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. And we may never know, but I was very concerned about that, uh, that beep because it felt like it was, it was wildly inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so anyway, but I, other than that, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I think it's the strongest of, of the nine we've seen so far. I agree. And I'm looking forward to next week's season finale. I can't wait. And, you know, we will actually do our level best to bring you a uh, lower deck season finale episode before the following week. Star Trek Discovery season three, episode one. Gosh, we are only two weeks away from the new discovery. We are 10 weeks into our, we are coming up on 10 weeks into our 23 week journey. Goodness. It's crazy. It is blown by. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, we want to know what you think of Lower Decks. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. 
You can also hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal. Well, we'll do this all over again next week-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.